This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's April 4th, Monday. It's Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. And we had an opportunity to watch a limited amount of practice on Saturday. Had interviews with Marcus Freeman, uh, Chancey Stuckey, and the wide receivers. Tim, just some of your thoughts. Uh, You were on the defensive side of the ball on Saturday. Why don't we go ahead and start there, your impressions from from the five periods of practice that we observed? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's – more than just those five periods, some, some guys are obviously very well trusted right away. Like I, we don't write a lot about Jack Kaiser, but Jack Kaiser is a guy that Al Golden clearly trusts as a leader. Um, I, I think the Rover position is going to get interesting. We're now five or four coordinators <laughs> removed from when the Rover position came in and you had Drew Tranquil playing there. And then Jeremiah Usu Koromoa. It's just, I think it's strong side linebacker. Now Jack Kaiser will be really good at it. And they are going to nickel it a lot. I think in the modern game, they're going to nickel it out with Tariq Bracey, who, as you know, from your practice viewing, you didn't know anybody on this team. You'd think Tariq Bracey was one of the top five players of the practices we've watched right now. We have not seen a lot of stuff, but I don't get the sense Tariq Bracey is having bad practices when we're not there after we talked to O'Leary and Marcus Freeman on this topic. I I, I agree, Tim. And and with regard to linebackers, I think it's, I mean, I know that a lot of people are looking to Jalen Sneed and they want Prince Collie on the field, although he's not playing Rover now. He's more of a will. I think it's going to be very difficult to take Jack Kaiser off the football field. And, yeah, and I think that – I mean, you'll nickel him out because he's a – Right. Know. Right. No, exactly. You're exactly right there. But I, I, when I look at the linebacker core of of uh, Leofau and Bauer and Kaiser, I, and I, I said this last week too, I mean, I think that's a really, really good group. And I think it's – there is depth developing there but it's very young and, it and Kali is probably the next in line. And then after that, although Mar- Marcus Freeman did speak very highly of uh, Neafu to, to Alamaka on, yeah. on Saturday, because he's the guy with the most experience among the new, among the uh, early entry freshman linebackers. He yeah. has the most experience at linebacker. I asked the question about, you know, your, your four guys, these, these were your four guys you recruited you. This was your position group. And he made the point. Tui Halamak is ahead of him because he was a straight-up inside linebacker. Now he's playing middle linebacker in high school. Mentioned all Jalen, you know, Jalen Steed rushed off the edge. Josh Burnham did many things. Nolan Ziegler played safety wide receiver in other positions. It's So Tui Halamaka has the, uh, the lead, I guess is what you would call it. But he also has a clearest path to playing time in the spring because J.D. Bertrand has a broken wrist. He's full participant. Yeah, let me yeah. They, they take him out of some important scrimmage reps because he's got a broken hand. I mean, I, he's out there playing as hard as he can, but you can't have him hitting people with his broken wrist right, right. now. So I think Tui Halamaka has that opportunity over the other ones too. Yeah. Now, and I, when I was talking about the linebackers, I left JD Bertrand out of that upper group, but he have, he's the first guy off the bench right? and then right. followed by Kali. I don't really know where Tui Halamaka is in the pecking order. I bet they like his spring because sure. He, He's been forced to do stuff, and he's probably doing well. Yeah. On, on the offensive side of the ball, I want to throw a tidbit out there that um, probably is not the most exciting news. Um, but I was told by a good source that uh, at wide receiver, Jaden Thomas is is ahead of the game um, as it relates to Deion Colsey. So now Colsey had a concussion. Right. Um, and, and we know that, that, that Colsey needs to show a, a consistent – a more consistent pattern 
uh, from the wide receiver position, but that is a, especially with Joe Wilkins going down. I mean, we're not, there's no way you're going to come out of this spring thinking a whole lot better about the wide receiver core no. than you did going in. I think Braden Lindsay, uh, again, Marcus Freeman praised him for his toughness. I mean, he literally said he got nicked up and expected him not to be in there on the next play. And then he yeah. was. So, I mean, that tells you about the mindset prior to the start of spring and the progress that Braden Lindsay is making. And of course you're going to get Avery Davis back and you're going to get Tobias Merriweather in here, but Jaden Thomas has a combination of, quickness and physicality and you know Chancey Stuckey was talking about he really has to remember that both of those assets need to come into play sometimes he just wants to be physical yeah as opposed to using his natural uh athleticism which he says Stuckey says he has a lot of that so he's making progress keep in mind Nicolzi you know had the had the concussion and so he's still a little bit slow out of the gate there's still seven practices to go and they need him. They absolutely positively need Deion Colsey to step forward. But it is good good news that Jaden Thomas has made a bit of a move this spring. Yeah, it, it, there's two ways of looking at it. Is it bad news because we all wanted Deion Colsey to make that leap? Or is it realistically good news because that means Jaden Thomas can play, Deion Colsey has had a setback, and Deion Colsey can have a really good summer. I mean, there's there's guys that don't have good springs, and Clark Lee talked about this. His first spring, he got done and he looked at – Tavon Coney and Asmar Bilal thought, well, I don't have anything here. Mm-hmm. And then Tavon Coney had the best year of his life, mm-hmm. actually, his junior year. He was fantastic. So guys do take the leap. We are try- we try to anoint Deion Colsey too fast, basically. I mean, he's we all want him to be replacement for Kevin Austin, where it's going to actually be. It would have been Joe Wilkins, first of all. It was going to be Joe Wilkins. Like anyone that put Deion Colsey ahead of Joe Wilkins just wasn't at practices or listening to the coaches talk. It was going to be Wilkins. So I think silver lining is Jaden Thomas is coming along, right? Because I thought maybe Jaden Thomas would be a special teams player with his physicality this year. So maybe you have two guys out of those out of that pair. But the transfer portal is the most important aspect of the wide receiver room going forward. Yeah, I thought he showed Jaden Thomas showed a lot of personality too in in his interview. Yeah, I didn't, which, I didn't is, talk to him. I wanted to say Deion Colsey was really impressive in his interview. He is uh, he's actually very uh, self aware of things too. He reminded me of when I talked to Ishak as a senior, almost a senior junior going to senior year. And he, I was like, wow, I was blown away by Ishak Williams's interview. Like he's like, I, I know what my flaws are. I'm a self-aware guy. I know what's going on. And I, I got that from Dion Colsey. He does not, I think he's a competitive guy, but I think he's introspective too. And I, I, I think he knows if he's not playing great. And I know he's not the type that seems like uh prone to bad decisions either. I think Deion Colsey is going to be a good receiver at Notre Dame and it might not be great. And, and uh, we, we, I mean, we have to be, sometimes we've been talking about these guys since their, their recruitment, if they're early entry, sometimes, you know, they come in early in the spring and here we are. I mean, it's still the end of Deion Colsey's freshman year at Notre Dame. We have to keep that in mind. I want to bring something up, Tim, because I want you to make this point. and, And, and it was a, I was talking to Marcus Freeman about interior defensive line and the lack of size there. And he categorically shot that down. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. And I agree. The level of player that he has there is very, very good. You just don't have a lot of bulk with the injury to Kanana, who is the only, and I realize also 
that the spring roster that was put out, some of those heights and weights, the weights in particular, may we're not, not be accurate. Because we're told they're way off. So, I mean, they're, they're at one point, somebody weighed this in their lives, and that's yeah. where they were. Well, I referenced it in the story today because Kanana is the only interior defensive lineman listed above 300 pounds, and he's at 310. So, But my point is this, and, and I think you make a good point. I want you to elaborate on it about Marcus Freeman talking about enhancing the roster He's not in, although he did say it, he said at the end of the spring, if we feel like we need to enhance, we will enhance a defensive tackle. But why don't you get into why Marcus Freeman isn't pushing that narrative a whole lot during the spring? Yeah, it doesn't do much good for you to say, yeah, man, we really need more wide receivers because, you know, <laughs> I like all, our guys are all backups, just like Irish Illustrated said. I mean, what he has faith in his four guys that are playing right now. He has faith in Avery Davis coming back and Tobias Merriweather coming in. And then after he shot down the notion said, if we feel we need to enhance our roster, we will be active. We are always looking to make our roster better. And he said the same thing about defensive tackle. Now take it at face value, Tim, you also like Howard Cross and Jacob Lacey and Jason Edemiola and Riley Mills and whoever else you want to throw in there, but it doesn't mean you don't need another person. They can hold the point, and they they know that it it does no good to tell your receivers your defensive tackles. Yeah, we need help. They, they have not they have nothing to do with it. Those guys, Brayden Lindsey and Jaden Thomas and Deion Colsey, have nothing to do with what's going to happen on the roster maneuvers of Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman and Al Golden and everything else. It's so don't involve them in it. That's what it is. It's it it looks really bad for Marcus Freeman to say we need help at wide receiver in the transfer portal. It would look even worse if they don't get help in the transfer portal, but he's going to do that. So don't worry about what someone, a coach says in the spring about their roster. Yeah. And I, you know, running backs stink. I need help. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that's Notre Dame, but they're very good running backs, but no it's one's a good running back group. Yeah. No, that's a really good running back. Group. And I, and our quarterback, We really need a lot of help. It's just not a thing to say. I want to point something out also uh, in, in it's spring practice. So we're in the business of talking about the good things and the bad things, the concerns, yeah. the, the, the positives, et cetera. But, you know, I know like everybody is talking about the depth of wide receiver and it's the lack of depth is extreme. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's and extreme. I actually give a real world example. Uh, another reporter asked the question and O'Leary, I think I'm blanking on this. I think it was Chris O'Leary mentioned the lack of receivers. No, it's been fine. It's just, uh, it only affects the defense in one-on-ones. We don't get as many one-on-ones. Well, that's affect. You're supposed to have a lot of one-on-ones. It's affecting the deep. So, in other yeah. words, his safeties get one rep in one-on-ones instead of two or three because they don't rotate. They don't know if guys rotate against them. So it yeah. Them. It, well, it, it, yeah, it's a trickle-down effect. Right. The the point of me bringing it up about the lack of depth is there is a lack of realization in the public that do you, do you think every team has the depth that they need at every position on April 4th. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm just trying to point out to, to all Notre Dame fans that there's always a shortcoming at a position at every school, every major college football program is looking at a position and saying, man, we don't have enough depth. I'm acknowledging that Notre Dame's wide receiver lack of depth is, is extreme. It's more extreme than normal, but, yeah, or for example, and we have a question on tight ends in the in the in the uh, second segment. They don't have a whole lot out there, but part of that is injury. Part of that is grad transfer. Part of that is 
tight ends, freshman tight ends that aren't here yet. So that, that is typical. It's not, I, I, I don't think people should freak out every spring when there's a shortcoming at a position. It's just the nature of the game, especially with, you know, transfers and grad transfers being, um, being much more prevalent these days. Tim, anything else from segment one? We'll move on to segment two then. No, I think we're ready for segment two, but the acknowledgement of wide receiver is true. Uh, here's the thing about wide receiver. They bring in a good wide receiver in Tobias Merriweather. If they were bringing in three good receivers, they might not have to go to the portal. They're bringing in one. If Avery Davis was due back April 25th, the day after the Blue Gold game, as opposed to sometime in July, early August, you wouldn't be as worried about the portal right. either. No, those you're right. Those aren't the realities. Yeah. So. They, they need to bring in more than one. And, I, you know, I, Harrison Wellman, uh, the kid from Johns Hopkins, I n- never thought we'd be talking about a transfer from Johns Hopkins, but that kid is good enough to be a scholarship player. If, if you don't, if like, if you don't have a couple other established power five or even non-power five uh, wide receivers that you can bring in as transfers or grad transfers, I think Harrison Wellman's a good enough player uh, where you can offer him a scholarship, but that just depends upon the other, the other sure. receivers that There's you're looking at. There's pros everywhere. There's pros at every college in the country. That's yep. the one thing about the NFL. Well, I'm you're not saying, I'm not saying he's a, he's a, <laughs> I know that, but like they get, they get people, there's talent everywhere. There's he can, stuff. he can play at this level against the competition Notre Dame faces on Saturday. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish illustrated insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards of Irish Illustrated Insider. We start with a question from Irish Gambler, and that question is what position group looks or feels a bit better than expected this spring. So if you take it better than expected that he races running back, running back looks really good, but I thought running back would look really good. Right. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that Darian price would look as good as he does. So I wrote running back down, but point point taken. Safety is mine. I like the fact that Houston Griffith is the fifth best safety on this team in the fall. I think that makes you a very strong overall unit. And I like what O'Leary said about the group. I don't want the best safety in the country. I want the best safety unit in the country because he knows he doesn't have the best safety in the country, but he has some good pieces. He has some good pieces. He knows what it's like to have the best safety in the country and not have him anymore. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, no, no doubt. Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, DJ Brown is going to push to be a starter, I believe, but, but, Man, I really love the length of Ramon Henderson opposite uh, Brandon Joseph. I, I, I that is a, I think that is a uh, potentially a dynamic starting group because. And O'Leary was talking about Henderson the other day. I mean, he just he has certainly Kyle Hamilton had uncommon length, but Ramon Henderson not quite to that extent, but he has uncommon length and that ability to cover a ton of ground side to side. So. I, I love those top two. I, I I don't know that they'll be top two. I think DJ Brown will put his name in the running there. And he can, play, he can back up both anyway. And if there's a three-man rotation, that's a ton of snaps for DJ. No, it, it is. And I would like to see Xavier Watts get into that rotation just because you know the hitting ability. But you're right. 
I mean, I'm working on his story right now. We'll have a feature on him later today, but um, you know, he knows what he doesn't know, but he also knows what his asset is and that's the ability to strike people. And he likes to, it'll be in the headline. He, he, he wants, he, he now having been a receiver and he was a, he was a safety in high school too, but I mean, he understands that he has the ability to scare receivers coming across the middle of the field. And he likes that. He likes it having that ability to do that. So, yeah, I, I, I like that group. I would agree. I would say, you know, running back, running back is a good group, um, you know, expected or better than expected. I would say the safeties. I agree. And I think maybe this is uh, a little bit of w- wishful thinking, but maybe we, especially when you get Cam Hart in action again, too, you might be able to say that about the cornerbacks if, if, uh, and, and Nichols, if you, if, Tariq Bracey continues to trend in the direction that he does. I agree with that because cornerbacks seem pretty good right now. And we haven't, and the best one is probably Cam Hart. He's not out there. Right. And, you know, Ryan Barnes, I thought he impressed when we saw the full practice, just like the way he looks. And Jaden Mickey, we've talked about. Um, I thought it was interesting, Tim, that that Marcus Freeman talked about Mickey. He said he's not quiet at all. He has a lot. He has a a quiet confidence. No, it's a lot. He said it's a loud confidence. And that he's not overwhelmed by the college game. So, though, I mean, those are really great things to hear about Jaden Mickey. He's not that big. Uh, somebody asked us a question on the last, last podcast comparing to, to, to K.J. Wallace, but I don't think we ever saw the level of play just in the brief glimpses that we've had of, of Jaden Mickey. No, me either. But for uh, for a fun question, since Colsey was a, a good interview, I asked Dion Colsey, pretty much knowing what the answer is going to be, which corner, which corner talks the most junk? Because, and he, he said, goes, Mickey. Eh. He goes, yeah, it's the young buck, Jaden Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I said, who gives it back the most? He said, oh, it's Lorenzo Styles. He said, Zoe, Zoe leads the way in that. So apparently Lorenzo has a few things to say out there as well. I don't know if any other position is better or worse than we expected. I mean, wide receiver, we understood what was the situation was moving in there tight end, you know, that you're short on bodies. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I mean, I think, I think running back and safety would be, uh, we're in agreement on, on that. Irish eyes football one. If Audric Estime or Logan Diggs have big jumps, could Chris Tyree play more wide receiver? He could be dangerous in the slot and also will likely translate to his draft stock in the future. Yeah. I think we saw evidence of what, whether it's in a slot or whether you throw it to him out of the backfield. I think we, you know, he was targeted seven times in the Fiesta Bowl and he caught six passes and we know that Tommy Reese wants to, you know, he really wants to use the running backs in, in the passing game when he has the personnel to do that. So, yeah, I think Chris Tyree is a can- certainly a candidate to line up all over the place. And, and I understand why the question is being asked because you're short at, at wide receiver. I don't think he'll move there full no. time, but he's a, he's a smart kid. He's an upperclassman now. He's a guy that you can move around and do a lot of things with. I actually asked Tyree if he thought he'd be more involved in the downfield receiving game as a slot receiver because – the two running back set seems like it will happen even more this year. And he kind of bristled. He's like, I think I already have been. I'm already, I'm already able to play slot receiver. So he was, he, it's definitely part of it. He believes he can be that. And uh, I still like just however you get him the ball in space with two yards around him of space is what you want from Chris Tyree. Well, the second game last year, I mean, the probably, I mean, one of the biggest passes that, that Tyler Buckner threw was a swing pass to Chris Tyree that went, 55 against Toledo, which was absolutely needed in the, the fourth quarter of that game. Question from Go Irish 3590. How much does fan sentiment 
play into the administration's impression of how a coach is performing. Obviously, they're rational human beings and can tell where there's a, a, a vocal minority versus a broader attitude. But I'm curious to get your read on how much fan attitudes toward a coach influence how the administration makes a decision on a coach several years into that coach's tenure. It's an interesting question because I don't know. I want to credit the right person, but it might have been Brent Musburger <laughs> that said at Notre Dame, if you lose the student body, you've lost as the coach, you're, you're out as the coach. Like that is the, that's the group you can't lose because I think the administration always knows the vocal minority should not have anything to do with anything anywhere in any aspect of life ever in sports or anywhere else or at all <laughs> because they, they, they should not. But I, I remember hearing that and it was, it was not in Lou Holzer, obviously it must've been during the Davy Willingham era transitions. It's like, if you lose a student body in Notre Dame, that's when they take notice. So I've always kind of believed that too. If you lose a student body, a little bit of a bottom line, isn't it? That they might well, know. No, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Now I don't know how all in the student body was on Brian Kelly. I know the general fandom was wanted him fired and the general fandom wanted Mike Bray fired. So I can't speak on behalf of all athletic administrators, but we have a hint as to how Jack Swarbrick handles those two coaches and he yeah. wasn't going to fire Brian Kelly. Well, that would be really weird. You know, the, the possibility was after 2016, but that was the anomaly. In the, in the, oh, yeah. Well, I actually did. I, I would have fired him after 2016. And look how wrong I was. So that was that was. Yeah, I, I, I would. I mean, I think I was on record at that time. I would have hesitated to do that. Uh, but changes need to be made. And he didn't and, have a you're right. I actually came around because we didn't have a replacement. We could name. <laughs> Remember, it was like, I don't I don't know. Right. Right. Brian. Whereas Brian Kelly was a natural fit following, yeah. you know, following Charlie Weiss. So, yeah. But I, I did now. Do I think there are some athletic administrators that give in to the 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 whims and the wishes of fans yeah absolutely i don't think jack swarbrick is one of those guys no i and was that, only and that, thinking notre dame i was only thinking of notre dame yeah right Sparks. right yeah. no he's not one of those guys and um all the more reason why i've always felt like jack swarbrick is a not a not a good athletic administrator in notre dame he's a, he's a great one he's i i've said it many times i've known every athletic director of notre dame since moose kraus and his job was like 180 degrees different than what Jack Swarbrick's is in the, in the present day. Um, I've, I've gotten along with everyone in Notre Dame's ADs. I've respected everyone in Notre Dame's ADs. Uh, Dick Rosenthal was, was a, uh, was near and dear to me because I was, was, and still am great friends with his son. Uh, but, and he did great things there, including the, you know, being forward thinking when it came to title nine, when right. he was a AD at Notre Dame, but Jack Swarbrick is groundbreaking in so many different ways. So he does not give into the whims of, of a fan base. Not to grab one example and make it gospel, but Brian Van Gorder of the Notre Dame defense was booed off the field after the Duke game by the Notre Dame student body. And it's just not something you see a lot of booing the Notre Dame football team from the students. It happens, but they booed the effort. They booed the result. They booed everything about sure. that. And sure. And, then was- and, and rightfully so. I yeah. said he should be fired after the Texas game. So, um, and and I want to say this, and I and I and I don't think that um, I don't think this is generally accepted and understood among fans. But as it relates to Mike Bray, I, I realize that Mike Bray has not done great great things at Notre Dame. He had the back to back elite eight runs, but 
uh, and, and has been to the tournament and has represented Notre Dame in a, in, in a good way on the court and his treatment of players. But I'll tell you why Mike Bray has a long leash with Jack Swarbrick, and that's because Jack Swarbrick recognizes that major college basketball is the dirtiest sport in intercollegiate athletics. Yes, that's an important point to make on the podcast. It is a cesspool, and Mike Bray, no one's completely 100% forthright in everything they do as a head coach, but Mike Bray is above the fray of, of that, of what yep. goes on there. Yep, that's Any- why that decision is is right. a, a no, no, no-brainer for, for Jack Swarbrick. Any Davis too. What are you hearing about depth at tight end so far this spring? Um, <clears throat> you guys are coming in. There's only yeah. There's only and we we, we touched upon this in, in segment one. I mean, depth right now there isn't any. There's Bauman Mayor. There's Mayor Bauman and Evans. And I you know I mean everybody loves Michael Mayer. I think Kevin Bauman is trending in the right direction, and I think yeah, Mitchell my, Evans is trending yeah. in the right direction too. I agree. He had Kevin Bauman had my favorite rep. Uh, in our 40 minute viewing when I was like, who is he tossing around? And it was Jalen Sneed, but Hey, this would be fun to write, but no, Kevin Bauman uh, is an aggressive people guy. People love this. Yeah. People are going to really like this. The junior backup tight ends tossing around everybody's favorite player, but um, he was going to have a little bit, he was going to have an impact as in a backup role last year, Kevin Bauman before he got hurt. And I believe he will this year. He's, I think he's yeah, I do too. No, I do too. I mean, he's, you know, I, I think he's a, I think he's a better version of George Takis. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, long-term. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, nobody's talking about depth because George Takis went to Boston college and Eli Raritan and Holden stays don't come in until this fall. So and Kane again, Barong was in the fall, basically. Kane, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And came wrong, you know, who's, who has a lot of receiving skills uh, for a, a tight end or, or some wide receiver type skills as a tight end. And again, it gets back to my point in segment one you can't have depth at every position in the spring. And that one's, that one's as, as acute as the wide receiver situation is. Right. From Washington D every time we hear about Brandon Joseph, it sounds like he doesn't show much in one-on-ones or other individual drills, but when it comes to team drills and scrimmages, he shines. This sounds a lot like reporters on Alohi Gilman during his first practices in front of the media. Is Gilman a potential good comparison to Joseph? I agree with the comparison, but I do want to, I do want to state that, all I said was that Brandon Joseph didn't jump out during individual drills, and then he did when it went live. So I, I don't know that that's a trend. It was just one practice. However, he does have interceptions in five out of seven practices, and the two that he doesn't weren't in pads. So there is it's a great it's a great question because I would understand why you would you would think what you think here, Wash ND. Um, and Lohi Gilman, I think I think Gilman kind of struggled out of the gate a little bit when he first got here, maybe not knowing his place or not, you know. Although Lohi Gilman's a very confident player, but I understand the question. Uh, I, I think it's premature to say that that Brandon Joseph doesn't excel when the lights aren't on per se. Uh, but he but he does have five interceptions in five out of seven practices, and those were padded practices when he did. Yeah, the only thing, maybe the ball hawking of Gilman, I could see that from Joseph. I mean, he does have nine picks in two years of playing football. That's that's a ball hawk. Um, Alohi Gilman had a mechanism uh, as a hitter that I don't think most people have. Something went wrong. When, when Alohi Gilman hit that field, he had the exact switch you want your player to have, and not a lot of guys have that. And not that pro football focus should be taken, their grades should be taken by any gospel, but if you're going to rate Brandon, if you're going to love that Brandon Joseph is rated 
extremely high in pass coverage by pro football focus, you would then have to acknowledge he's rated extremely low in tackling by pro football focus, or you could throw both out the window, but you can't just pick one. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think Alohi Gilman was generally speaking underrated among Notre Dame fans because he, because he missed a couple tackles because he tried to pull the ball loose, which is what Al Golden is preaching this, this spring. Alohi Gilman was a great Notre Dame college football player. He, he was, was extremely, yeah. he was extremely productive. He was the heartbeat of their defense. He, I know how he's wired. I know his dad as a as a DB coach. Uh, I know how the, their culture is is um, how it works, how it's wired. And I loved Alohi Gilman as a as a safety at Notre Dame. I know Hamilton and Harrison Smith and Burris and. David Bruton, they're all more talented and better. But if you made an 85-man team, like in the 40 years I've watched Notre Dame, I would make sure Gilman was on my team. Absolutely. For special teams, for putting in at safety, for doing something. I would just make a, I would make a spot for Loki Gilman. That's Absolutely. And it appears that Brandon Joseph is trending in the in the same yes. direction. I, I really like Brandon Joseph. But I do. I like his I like his personality. He's engaging. Uh, I, he I said like him. Ohio State. Yeah, he said, yeah. Why that don't was you? A Sunday story. So if you guys missed it, he said, "Well, not, we won't know until we beat Ohio State about his first year at uh, Notre Dame." So and he said that. it pretty matter of factly. There well, was no he hesitation. Yeah, he just kept going. So. Yeah, Go good, good comparison. Good question from Wash ND, who has a question for us every podcast, and there's a reason why we include him um, most of the time. TJ from PA seventy in this unregulated era of NIL, do you believe top prospects may be using? official visits, or even to some extent, social media output to influence the quote offers or quote minimum guarantees we hear about. I'm not referencing any person individually, but I just wonder if we've already arrived at a point where a high school athlete may be able to negotiate these types of things. I think we have arrived at the point where high school athletes can negotiate these type of things or their families. I mean, it's, yeah, we were probably well past that point, but now it makes it less no. illegal. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a great question, and it's true. And I think I think we're seeing recruits becoming even more likely to take those visits because the family sits down at the kitchen table and says, "Hey, if we go to, we love this school, but if we go visit school B and school C, I don't know, maybe they'll give us a different perspective and have have a perspective on NIL among other things." Yeah, um, you know, being something that will to say it now like we know of coaches of in one of the sports we cover going to sit down and being told i've been offered this much money somewhere else and that coach had to get up and leave right but now you can be offered that money in a roundabout way and it's really not 100 <laughs> cheating and if you get up and now if you get up and leave you're going to definitely lose so you yeah, can't yes, do it's that over uh, it's not a test anymore <laughs> right you gotta hang in there you gotta stay in your seat and, and yeah, you gotta you gotta play eat your for crying out loud no matter how full you are too right <laughs> Right, exactly. No, I, I think it's a great question, and it and it's true. And I think, I think prospects are more inclined. And and TJ from PA seventy says he's not referencing any one person in particular, but we know that Dante Moore is going to take some official visits. Um, and I, you know, that's probably not the best comparison. Um, well, he'll be offered some unofficial things. But he will be offered. Yeah. I mean, I, I I understand why someone would want to take those visits and keep all their options open. I still stand by what I said Friday. 
and I'm sure everybody will write, remind me if and when I'm wrong that I think Dante Moore will end up being at Notre Dame. We can put a finer point on this one we talked about a little bit. CMU Penns fan, a lot has been talked about the safety play. What have you seen from the corners that makes you think issues from the Fiesta Bowl could be helped? Yeah, we're, we're kind of walking over our statements here, but um, Jaden Mickey, I, I think, is go going to be involved. I think Ryan Barnes is going to compete for a starting spot. Um, you'd like to think that Clarence Lewis improves. He has a lot of experience now, and Cam Hart potentially, when healthy with his length, has a chance to be you know, probably the best of all of them. Philip Riley is still young. I love Philip Riley's. The, the, I love the competition that Philip Riley went against in high school. Uh, and that was uh, again, kind of part of what um, Marcus Freeman was saying about Jaden Mickey and his competitiveness. Um, I, I think there's a lot of good things going on there. Jaden Bellamy's now healthy. We'll see what he can do, although he's pretty small. And then you have Benjamin Morrison coming in who I really, really liked uh, his high school film of senior year. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm not predicting that all of a sudden this is all turned around chance Tucker too. Uh, you know, there's some, there's some good candidates here that most of them are still just candidates, but there's some talent there. Uh, and Mike Mickens has got something to work with. All right. Say there's at least three good candidates to help out at cornerback minimum three good candidates to help out at cornerback this season. There's also three returning starters. You, you have to like that. The coaches like it. The coaches like Cam Hart. They like Clarence Lewis a lot more than we do. Yeah, um, and I, th Clarence, I think. It's unfortunate that Devontae Smith is, and uh, Clemson are part of his life. I mean, that you know, it's, those guys are good. Um, but Alec Pierce, too. I mean, Clarence Lewis had a bad game when they lost to, to Cincinnati. We kind of forget that. We kind of forget that that was part of that Cincinnati game because there were so many train wrecks in that game. But Clarence Lewis is well re well regarded by the Notre Dame coaching staff. I think we have to give him some credit going to his junior year that he'll probably be a better junior than he was a sophomore. Well, too, right? all of the receivers that you're mentioning make it a bad day for a corner. Tay Martin made a bad day for every corner that Oklahoma State played against last year. Not an right. that's not an excuse, not but exactly. you know, I and and I think you know by and large, Notre Dame's corners played pretty well last year, including Clarence Lewis, but yes, yes. all of that's thrown out the window when you have the image of the Oklahoma state game in your head. And I understand that, but Notre Dame's corners did not have a bad year last year. Cam Hart had a good year. There was a reason why you rarely saw Cam Hart in the picture because they weren't throwing that way. So I think there's a lot of potential there. The next step is you need your corners to, to, to come up and play a great game when you get into a major bowl and, you're, and you haven't won a major, you haven't won a major bowl in a hundred years. You know I mean? And they're, they're clearly going to have a good solid year corner, but they have to have a good solid day in Columbus and in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's the, yeah. A, 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 a good day in Ohio stadium. Now you're starting to change the long-term narrative of the position. From Terry Benedict, in your practice viewings, can you describe Marcus Freeman's involvement with the offense? Not really. Not really. Yeah. I mean, because we're trying to follow players around right. and who's doing what and where are they and are they on the field and who's hurt and who isn't. And it's hard for us to see, okay, well, where's Marcus Freeman now? I think he hops around. I don't think that he's necessarily a guy that is shouting a lot of instructions as the new head coach at Notre Dame. I think he's trying to observe and I think he probably he confers with a position coach more than he does a player 
And I, yeah. and I certainly don't, I certainly don't think that he's in the ear of a quarterback during a practice session. No, the first, the full practice we saw, more, we were able to watch it a little <laughs> bit. I don't know if I, after stretching, if I looked at Marcus Freeman in our 40 minute period, because as you said, we have a lot to do. If you want to read a good practice report, you can't watch Marcus Freeman walk around at all. Um, I think he's just as engaged as anybody else. I think, I guess Brian Kelly spent a lot of time with quarterbacks when we watched and so much so that when he spent time with like wide receivers, we noticed that. So maybe this is the best way of kind of contrasting the two. Um, but I just think Marcus Freeman is coaching his coaches more than some, more than anything else right now. But Al Golden, I, I, I noticed a lot of Al Golden um, in those ball disruption drills or fumble causing drills. And well, stuff. we're more, yeah, we're more inclined to notice a, a coordinator though, as, as opposed yeah. to, to the head coach, but uh, our next viewing will be a week from this Tuesday, and we'll we'll try to keep a little bit more of an eye out for, right. for Marcus Freeman. We're going to wrap up here today with a question from Utah Domer, and that is, after seeing Tyler Butner three times this spring, are your expectations for him higher, lower, or the same as they were going into the spring? Definitely the same, but I guess definitely not lower. I don't have lower expectations for Tyler Buckner. He's, I think he can spin it. Um, and I'm writing about this today. I can kind of tell from Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese giving the answers that we've heard in the past that they definitely want Tyler Buckner to not lose games to start this season out because they like their defense, their offensive line, and the running game. Marcus Freeman has referenced we end every drive with a kick. I know that is an old adage. That means field goal, extra point, or punt. It's not a turnover. Uh, and Tommy Reese has often referenced decision-making. And I'm glad Freeman said, and execution too. It's not just knowing where the ball should go. Well, did the ball go there? But he kind of, when, when he bristled at the question about Tommy Reese making the choice, he's like, I want to talk to Tommy Reese about everything we saw all spring. Well, the decision's right. Okay, but what happened when the decision was right? Did we score a touchdown? Did we get the first down? Or was the decision just right and the execution was not well, I think that, like, that's step three. Step one is throwing a good ball. Step two is throwing a good ball to the right place. And, and then three step three, th th yeah, then step three, a positive play. I think, uh, well, okay, to answer the question, I would say same because I try not to allow myself to change my opinion about the, the new potential starting quarterback based upon the limited amount that, the, that we've seen. But I like the way that you said it, same, but encouraged. And, and, yeah, I, would, and I would definitely not, definitely not lower, definitely not. not I see nothing to say. I feel any lower expectations uh, um, of, of what I anticipated, but I think he is, I think from a coaching standpoint th through eight practices, I, th I think, I don't know this for sure, but I have a pretty good clue on this, that he's throwing the foot, generally speaking, he's throwing the football well, and it still comes down to getting better and better and better every day at the decision-making where you choose to throw the football. And it's uh, one hour and 40 minutes or two hours and 40 minutes of practice where we've seen him because right. the first one I went to, he uh, was doing drills the whole time. It's, we haven't seen a lot of, of quarterback play and uh, that's, that's okay. We have to talk to the assistant coaches and they know a lot about these guys. And I think most assistant coaching conversations so far have been very informative for us. They have. And I think that there's some, some Intel out there that is telling Irish illustrated that he's throwing it. He's throwing it well. 
not just when we saw it, but overall he's throwing it well, but needs to continue to, you know, I mean, the kid, the kid has barely played football in the last four years, five years. It's incredible. It's incredible how little he's played just because of injuries and COVID and the, the circumstances surrounding it. But I have faith in him. I think he's going to be a good quarterback. I have faith in Drew Pine coming off the bench and giving Notre Dame a spark. I like those two kids. I like them personally. And I think that they have a lot of assets. So we will we'll move forward from here. Notre Dame will conduct its ninth practice on Tuesday, uh, 10 on Thursday, 11 on Saturday. We'll see number 12. And we'll see number 12, again, just five periods. And we'll try to keep an eye on Marcus Freeman. Get that we'll be doing that. That as Let's well. get that to 10 periods or something. We need a little more time in there. I'm not sure we're going to be able to pull that off, but I'm still yeah. working on it. All right, man. It's been good. We appreciate it. We Hey, I, I do want to say that, you know, we use a lot of the same uh, people for the questions that they ask. And we encourage everybody on on Twitter to, to do that. We encourage our subscribers that don't always ask questions uh, to be included in there. I want to tell the, the Annie Davises and Wash NDs and the Terry Bennicks. I'm only looking at the names that we use today, but there are many others that, uh, that we appreciate your contributions and input because man, we can count on, there's a group of people we can count on every time we have a podcast, they're throwing a question out there. So we appreciate that. And all of our uh, followers and listeners to Irish illustrated insider talk to you. We will not have a podcast this Friday. Because I feel like we're kind of going, walking over the same territory here a little bit now. Uh, so our next podcast will be on Monday, April 14th. Wait, yes, no, 11th. Thank you. Until next time.